0: Hello and welcome to the Criswell Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Mark Wark. Uh, we talked a lot about omega-3s, specifically omega-3s in dry eye and in um, patients who have diabetes. Stay tuned for our future conversation in a few months related to patients with macular degeneration. I know, based on the conversation I had today, that that's going to be a really good one uh, and a deep dive. So enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. My patients with macular degeneration want clear and succinct recommendations from me related to products and solutions that can benefit their long-term ocular health and vision. To do this for my patients, I need to be confident that what I'm recommending will have a benefit to them, and that's why my supplement of choice is MacuHealth. MacuHealth is specifically formulated and clinically proven to rebuild and maximize macular pigment over a lifetime. This results in enhanced visual performance and aids in the treatment and prevention of age related macular degeneration. I've discussed carotenoid absorption on this podcast with Dr. Nolans and Stringham, and MacuHealth uses a patented process called Micromicelle technology. And this technology is clinically proven to increase carotenoid concentrations at the target tissue and deliver the highest level of bioavailability studied to date. MacUHealth has been great for my patients. We really feel like we have the ability to help those patients in all categories of macular degeneration. If you're not utilizing MacUHealth for your patients, check it out for yourself by contacting your MacUHealth representative. Emerging presbyopes and emetropic presbyopes can be tricky. These patients want and need additional help at NEAR, but they can be resistant to solutions that create even mild distance blur. The MyDay multifocal lens has been great for our presbyopic patients. It allows those patients to transition into a multifocal more easily and more comfortably. And we've had this lens for long enough now that we have been able to see the simple and how simple the adaptation can be when adjusting from lower ad designs to higher ad designs. When prescribing My Day contact lenses, you can feel confident about your environmental impact because for every MyDay contact lens sold in the United States, Cooper Vision's partner, Plastic Blank, collects and converts an equal amount of ocean-bound plastic through their global network. My Day multifocal contact lenses will provide your patients with a great quality of vision and comfortable lens-wearing experience, all while making a difference in our environment. So if you haven't started utilizing My Day multifocal in your practice, I'd encourage you to reach out to your Cooper Vision representative to get started. Last time we talked about this, Mark, I think we were in... I want to say we were in Washington, D.C., but that might not Mm -hmm. be right. It might be that it was before that. But it had to be Washington because I think we were down down in kind of the Gaylord kind of lobby area. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I love about you is your passion, right? I mean, I, I, I would guarantee that people that know you know your passion for something that you really uh, believe in and embracing wholeheartedly. And it's very clear. So so I, I would say that I don't know you that well, um, but I can absolutely tell your passion and not just your passion, but like your experience in reading the literature and understanding what this means for patients. And so what I'd like for you to do is sort of break down um, Maybe just your initial approach when you think about omega-3s. I want to try to dispel myths. I want to try to Mm -hmm. kind of wrap my mind around or, or help our listeners wrap their minds around, you know, the limitations of certain studies and then also (laughs) the, 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 what we can gain from those studies. So I, I think probably from an omega standpoint, maybe we take it a little bit higher level first and then dive okay. deeper maybe into disease states. So tell me about just the general aspects of the benefits and how omegas make a difference in our bodies.
1: Okay, yeah, good good way to go. There's, there's definitely a lot to talk about when you think about omega-3s <laughs> and I've been interested in them for a long time um, and talked about them with my patients for, for several years now. Um, and I think the, th- the thing that kind of led me down that path was my interest in dry eye disease that have you know, started several years ago and trying to understand how to help my patients sitting in my chair, understanding the best information, the best studies and research I have. And I think, you know, when we're truly trying to help a patient sitting in front of us, there's kind of a three three part. We want to practice in an evidence-based method. So we want to have the best research. We think of the hierarchical, you know, the, the, the pyramid of evidence, if you will. We want to understand how much research is behind what we're recommending for our patients and choose the best research and we kind of couple that with our clinical expertise and how patients respond you know, every patient is unique so there are research studies out there but there's probably not a patient that's exactly like the patient in your chair who has you know, certain weight and um, comorbidities and maybe diabetes or, or maybe not and certain signs of dryness and certain symptoms. So you have to use your expertise to kind of understand where the patient is. And then you have to think about the patient's values and preferences. So if I want a patient to take omega-3, but they're allergic to fish, or they don't have resources to purchase it, or they don't have insurance that may cover some medical testing I want to do, or they simply aren't going to be compliant. I mean, you have to, you have to communicate with your patient and figure out their values preferences to try to come up with the best plan for them. And I think I like one of the quotes from, you know, Hippocrates from what about 2,500 years ago. Um, And he said, if we could give every individual the right amount of nourishment and exercise, not too little and not too much, we would have found the safest way to health. So I think taking that wise quote and kind of putting it into practice, You know, omega 3s have been around and they were really discovered back in the 1970s. It's when this revolution of omega 3 from the work of Bang and Dyerberg back in the with the, the Greenland Eskimos, the Inuit, and they brought really started kind of a revolution of excitement about the potential of these omega 3s from fatty fish to have positive impacts on our health and now we've done, you know, 50 years of additional research. Omega-3s are the kind of tied for the fifth most published and researched molecule in history. We have somewhere around 40,000 studies on omega-3. And yet, when I say that, we still have a lot to learn. And we don't have every research uh, study that we need, even in dealing with how to recommend patients who have these various conditions. So, in my practice, um, I use dry eye. Uh, I use omega-3s, certainly, in dry eye disease. I also discuss them for my patients who have other conditions, like diabetes and like macrodegeneration um, and like glaucoma. So we actually have research in all those areas. So when you start thinking about how many patients in your practice may actually benefit uh, from omega-3 uh, increasing their levels of omega-3 is actually encompasses a lot a lot of patients um and then
0: because you mentioned a number of things and um and so let's let's kind of break down a few things right off the top the from a dry eye perspective there are a number of studies that show benefit in dry eye but it seems to be seems to me that at least um, to some degree, the one that kind of floats to the top is the most recent one and, and the largest one. And obviously, if you're thinking about the pyramid of evidence, the one that kind of falls into the, you know, the the most or probably, at least to my knowledge, you know, a, 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 nobody could argue with the randomization. Uh, well, I think people try to, but uh, unless you're going to make the case that uh olive oil is is just as a potent of an of a anti-inflammatory and has the same effect as omega threes in in uh then other than that it was had good randomization it had etc so it's a uh had good power to it so the dream study so Mm -hmm. the dream study comes out and um and basically says you know omega threes no benefit and then we can go down the amd side and and you know Areds two comes out. Again, mm-hmm. I know you probably have similar thoughts in terms of the limitations on Areds two as I do. But Areds two says no omega threes. So tell me about how why why did we find in the Dream study that there was no benefit to omega threes in patients with dry eye?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a great question, and I think unfortunately the Dream study has led some people down uh, the wrong path. So you know it was a multi-center 12-month study. Couple things. Um, if you compare to some of the other smaller studies that had preceded it that did show benefits, there are some definitely, in my opinion, some limitations to what we could hope to gain from the from the Dream Study. I don't really think that olive oil uh, was. I think it was a pretty decent placebo. It was refined olive oil. I don't think that's the best explanation. Oh, no, there were benefits to both, and so olive oil was you know, the, the reason it was so good that it was, you know, you couldn't show that the omega-3s were better. I don't really think that's the best explanation. Um, the, the patients included in the study were moderate to severe dry eye disease patients. We don't really know, to my knowledge, whether they had mybomium glands that were working well. If you do mybography in your practice where you image the meibomium glands routinely as I do, you'll find a lot of patients <clears throat> who have moderate severe dry eye disease who are so far down the pathway that they've already lost a lot of their glands. And those patients probably require more than omega-3 to show a significant difference at that stage. So I think I totally that's agree. one thing. I think, totally. the, other I think, thing I think here...
0: the other thing here... I'm going to pause just a second, Mark, because Go I want ahead. to yeah. put a finer point on that is... You know, if you look at if you look at even our our treatment paradigms within dues too, uh in a number of cases, what what a lot of people will do is they'll revert to kind of some of the early wheelhouse stuff in, in state in, you know, step one and two things like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things like just restasis, zydra, Zydra, um, LipiFlow, tear care, all of those are in step mm-hmm. two. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I believe omegas and nutrition is in step one, if I'm remembering it's correctly. It's in step I one. may be wrong. It is. So, so You're correct. To your point, we don't even treat – like that would be taking – moderate to severe patients are probably in late-stage step two therapy to step three and four. And step three and four are therapies where we're using amniotic membranes, scleral lenses, um Mm -hmm. long-term steroid drops so you're getting into this you know oral um oral secretagogues things that Mm -hmm. most people Mm -hmm. are not really utilizing in in most cases and so to put those patients i totally agree to put the patients with already advanced disease on something that's a step one therapy would be also like trying to just solve the problem with warm compresses or Artificial tears in terms of our understanding and what we've accepted as a as a profession um, related to like, OK, well, dues is an authority. Right. The, the International Dry Eye Workshop mm-hmm. is right. the authority on dry eye. And they wouldn't even do this. Not even close. Right. So I, mean, so right. I just wanted to put a little finer point on that, because I, I think that's a pretty powerful statement that you just made.
1: And I think the fact that um, you know these patients, yeah, they were they were pretty far down the road. There also were some other things that are different than most studies. If you think about trying to figure out the impact of doing one thing, like the Epitropolis study, for example, that looked at dry and found positive results. You know the, those patients aren't doing other treatments, and they're not taking lower doses of the same thing you're studying. Whereas in the Dream study, it included patients again. levels with Sjogren's, with RA. They had other inflammatory conditions. Many of them were on oral medications that might have added dryness. Some of them were on steroids. Um, They could actually be on EPA and DHA up to 1,200 milligrams per day on the placebo side, which to me, if we're really trying to sort out one thing... Um, as making a difference, I think that complicates it. And then both uh, groups, at least 75% of the participants in both groups over the course of the study had changes in these other therapies, therapies like cyclosporine A that could have reduced their cytokines and reduced inflammation. So, in terms of being able to extract, I mean, despite that those facts. We had continued treatment with these other things, up to 1,200 milligrams, these other treatments as well. So this additional placebo group who had another year of treatment with these other things had some improvement. Well, that's good. We shouldn't be real surprised about that. The group that got that treatment as well as a therapeutic dose, a higher dose of EPA DHA, did show improvement as well and a greater amount. However, there wasn't enough difference between the groups to say that that omega-3 made a significant difference. I just think you have these confounding factors within this study that make it nearly impossible to tease out the impact and effect of the omega-3 in this study in this group of patients. But I don't think this should be generalized to say that omega-3s don't work. Yeah, but they did work
0: in that a little bit. Yeah, I think and I Mm -hmm. think that's the hard part is that, you know, it's sort of in some ways it's, you know, it's hard to do a big study like that and it's expensive. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. And so to do it again um, is like this. I my my thing is, is I think this is going to become the authority for a lot of people where they'll just poo poo it, you know, omega threes. And it's like, well, we're never going to do a study that big again or it's going to be a long time. So, all right. Well, so Mm -hmm. so I agree with you. I I think I think that establishes the case of why we may where the dream study may have missed in where they were trying to hit. Related to the type of omegas, you know. um, Well, first of all, tell me about the amount, the dose of omegas, and then also the the combo of EPA and DHA. Why do I care? Why what do I need to know about that? Uh, Why is one better for one condition and one better for another?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's an awful lot of confusion um, in multiple areas in regard to um, so what, how should we choose a dosage. I think we would say the majority of patients in the United States <clears throat> have a suboptimal amount of omega-3 in their body. If you look at <clears throat> the works of um, you know, different studies that have been done, um, there's a way to determine whether the patient has an ideal amount of omega-3 in their system, and that's called the omega-3 index. We've done that in practice, in my practice, for several years. We just simply take it you know, in states that allow you to pierce the skin, which Indiana does. Mm-hmm. You can take a drop of blood, put it on a dried blood spot card, and then we send it to a lab, and we get the results back pretty quickly. And we want that it's a measure of, of the red blood cell membrane, the percentage of fatty acids that are EPA and DHA. And multiple studies have indicated that that number really should be for optimal health. And this is, again, along several lines, systemic health, cardiovascular health, joint, uh, skin, and eye and brain. It should be above 8%, so kind of eight above 8 to 12%. So patients, uh, we commonly measure that. Patients often report, I ask many patients, are you eating fish? That would be the natural source of these omega-3s and help us determine the dose they may need. Many patients, when you ask them that, well, they may say yes. Well, how often do you eat it? Well, I probably have you know fish and maybe it's cod, not oily fish. <laughs> fish oh, every couple of weeks or maybe once a month. Well, that's a very low amount, and you're unlikely to obtain the adequate amount of omega-3 that you need. Omega-3 is part of every cell. We have about 40 trillion cells in our body. Omega-3s are part of the cell membranes of every one of those cells. And within the cells, you have these organelles like mitochondria that are essential that have membranes. And those membranes have a certain assortment and collection of omega-3s. EPA and DHA, which are the long-chain omega-3s found naturally in oily fish. And when I say oily fish, there are specific fish I recommend my patients eat. There's an easy way to remember that. It's the smash TT. I've added the TT myself. So basically salmon, um, mackerel, anchovies, sardines, herring, tuna, and trout. So those are so can good choices. I do the first choices. and the last. That's, that's what I would do, first and last. And <laughs> so it. within those seven, hopefully you'll find one or two at least that you like. <clears throat> so those should be part of your diet. Oftentimes they're not. One recent study showed that, in general, the only patients who, through their diet um, and supplementation, will achieve above 8% are those who have fish, oily fish, three times per week and who also supplement. Hmm. Those are the people in your chair likely to hit the 8 percent When I do this test, I almost universally find patients are under where they should be in those omega-3s. So when I find that, you know, I do, you know, several things in looking at, let's say, a dry eye patient, you know, I'll press on their glands. I want to see the quality of the oil. Uh, there are There's research that shows several mechanisms likely at play where omega-3s are beneficial for patients with dry eye disease. And one of those is improving the quality of the mybum. We actually have a study where they harvested oil from the glands. This was an eight-week study using an omega-3. Some of the earlier studies with lower amounts of omega-3 were not successful, but when we got above two grams per day, that's kind of a key, I think, in a diagnosis for patients not eating fish typically falling under where they should be with their omega-3 through diet, around two grams a day seems like a very reasonable dose to start, but they where found the patients UST... who took- Sorry,
0: after that two,
1: two gram a day, we can get back
0: to that, but um, mm-hmm. how long how long of a duration before I would expect to see a clinical
1: benefit? In this study, looking at the quality, it was a about a two month study and harvesting before and after. They actually found five times more omega-3. It's a small percent in the mybum. The oil has lots of different fats, and omega-3s are a fairly small percent, but they found a significant improvement, five times more. And interestingly, when they harvested, because we hear a lot about EPA versus DHA, the, the supplement they took had both, but what they actually found increased. They had In 14 patients in this one study, there was no DHA or EPA found. After two months, they found 14 out of 14 patients who they could identify DHA. So EPA is known for its ability to reduce inflammation. It's a strong anti-inflammatory, and I love it. I think it has great benefits. I think, however, we overlook the value of DHA. And DHA is what was actually found in the mybum. And then there are other studies that help us understand that it's not just EPA, or not necessarily EPA should be predominant. If you look at the tuna fish study done back in 2005, which was the first study we looked at that found some association between eating fish and reducing risk of dry eye, it was a study of over 30,000 women that were monitored over time. They didn't have dry eye diagnosis at baseline. And four years later, as they were followed, they had a certain percentage, certain, uh, Members of those, a certain percentage of those who did have dry disease. And they found there was an association between the amount of tuna fish they ate and their likelihood of diagnosis. So if they had, let's say zero to one servings per week versus like at least five, which is a lot of tuna fish. I do admit it's way too much, (laughs) but yeah, like one is too much. That that was a lot of tuna fish, but those who had five to six or more per week, They had a 68% lower likelihood of a diagnosis of dry eye at four years, which is interesting. It's an association. But what's in tuna fish? The majority of omega-3 in tuna fish, it's about 70% DHA and about 30% EPA. So there again. They did a separate analysis. I didn't. I don't know the answer to this. Mm-hmm.
0: Not uh, is there any ability for our body to convert one to the other? Do, is there any? Is that conversion
1: process occur or, or doesn't? <clears throat> that's doesn't a make. great question. There's very little ability of the body to produce. So there used to be a thought years ago that there was this retro conversion between EPA and DHA. Really, that's not true. And even if you eat like one of the fallacies, people say, "Well, I don't like fish. I'll just eat walnuts because they have omega three, right?" Well, they do, but it's ALA. It's a shorter chain. And our ability metabolically to convert that to a longer chain, omega-3, is very low. So you're simply not going to get enough EPA and DHA in your body by without actually having some direct uh, dietary intake of it or a targeted supplement.
0: Does so, yes, it's important to supplement. Or does, does triglyceride or forms have a uh, an impact, or is it just a... A argument that comp- companies that have one will make <laughs> against the other?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I think there's definitely research, and the best science shows that the ethyl ester, which is not found naturally in nature, has an ethanol backbone, simply does not get digested as readily. So the figures I see, you can still get benefits and raise your omega-3 index if you take enough of the ethyl ester form. But you have to take a higher amount, and on an empty stomach, the amount of food in your stomach is very critical if you take the ethyl ester form. If you take it on an empty stomach, you're probably only going to get about 20% absorption. So maybe you took 1,000 milligrams and you get a benefit of 200, whereas with the triglyceride form, the body digests it more efficiently, and you basically get it all. Uh, Eating with food is probably a little bit beneficial even with triglyceride, but generally it's not nearly as critical. So, I think if you want to reduce potentially the digestive issues, so th- you know there really aren't any side effects to omega three If you think about something we can give patients that is natural, safe, effective, ready available, pretty inexpensive compared to many drugs, if you will um you know omega threes have some real benefits and advantages in in those well, areas. Yeah, Let's well. pick
0: that that apart a little bit just because you know there are some some people that will worry you know well i can give this to anybody what about patients on blood thinners or what about patients with uh kind of finicky thyroids do i have to worry about that at all
1: you really do not omega-3s are extremely safe um there's no concern about patients with thyroid disease there's no concern about patients with diabetes if anything it's beneficial for those patients and Many of them are uh, going to be low in omega-3s that are so important for their retinal health. Um, so I think uh, even in terms of blood therapy, yes, there is a platelet um, effect of omega-3s that can prolong bleeding times a little bit. But when you actually look at the research, there was uh, a study I looked at, Norwegian research. They studied patients up to 7, I think 6.9 grams a day. And they found no adverse outcomes. Although it may affect the impact a little bit of how long it takes the blood to clot, it's not associated with any poor outcomes, even in patients who are on blood thinners in surgical patients. So I've heard the argument made that maybe, you know, we have these normals that we take from a cross-section of a large number of people. And if those patients are undernourished with omega-3s, maybe our scale's wrong. Maybe what we really should be saying is it's normal. Maybe the amounts that we find, the numbers we find when patients have appropriate levels of omega-3, maybe those are really the normal numbers, and we just have skewed the data. So I think there's really no concern. Now, if you go in for surgery, your physician's likely to tell you to go off your omega-3. And I don't argue with that. I don't tell my patients to ignore that. But it's really not a concern. And if you think about it, the blood tissue levels within your body with omega 3 they go up and down very slowly so even if you go off your omega 3 for a week or two the amount in your tissues has hardly changed <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. really kind of yeah. a moot point even with that but it's really not yeah, it a makes concern they're, they're very safe it yes it makes you the feel better yeah it does so then uh, <laughs>
0: let me let me let me so we'll talk I want to get a little bit into the details of dry eye in your practice so okay um, i come in and um, let's say, let's take two scenarios. One scenario is I have no symptoms. Are you gonna Are you gonna evaluate me differently than if I have symptoms? Comprehensive exam, dry eye. Mm-hmm. Is there something that you're gonna do every single time to screen for me, or you're just gonna wait until my symptoms develop?
1: Yeah, I'm definitely gonna look at each patient. Many patients who've had dry eye long enough will be symptomatic over time, but you have to. For such a a range of patients with and without symptoms with dry eye disease. If you think about it, even in advanced stages, as dry eye disease advances, sometimes it affects the ability of the corneal nerves to sense discomfort. So if you're only going to treat patients who hurt, I think you're really missing the boat. And if you look carefully, Yeah, yeah, look at the patient's meibomium glands if you take a moment to put a little bit of fluorescein dye in the eye, you can easily detect staining on the cornea. Oftentimes, it shows up first on the bulbar conjunctiva nasally. You can take your thumb and you can press to determine whether the glands in the my, along the, the lid margin with those meibomian glands are secreting oil. If you do a little more formal evaluation, you can take something called the lid stick, from, which I, I like. It's the Oculus lid stick. And just express those glands and you can pretty easily see what kind of quality oils inside those glands. If the patient doesn't have symptoms but they have signs of meibomium pro- gland problems structurally, if I see surface irritation I see glands that are blocked, maybe I see a frothy tear film, one of the things that meibum that comes out of your glands is designed to do is kill bacteria. And so, when you have a lack of mybum, it gives opportunity for bacteria to overgrow. You have an overgrowth of bacteria on the lid margin, interacting with the oils and creating this frothy tear film. So, there are just so many things we can see, in sometimes patients who do not have symptoms that should be addressed. So, I'm going to bring that up to you. Uh, I may do a real brief video just to show you what I see in some cases, but I'll tell you that there's an issue that's progressive inflammatory likely to persist or get worse even in the absence of symptoms and i would recommend you come back in for a medical evaluation so we could look at it more more deeply more closely i'll do a number of tests and then we'll come up with some treatment and pretty much 100 percent of the patients in my practice i'm going to talk to them at that visit the next visit when they come in about omega-3s So you do
0: nothing. So you wouldn't do anything at that comprehensive exam, uh, other than educate the patient. You're identifying. So I love this because Mm -hmm. you know you're thinking on this. When when I talk to people who have who are uh, operating at a really high level within their practice related to uh, ocular disease management, they almost Mm -hmm. all and they do primary care. um, They almost always do it the way you do it is is they they are they look at that comprehensive exam and and this is this is you know you've heard me talk about the total patient care model you've heard me talk about uh what does a comprehensive exam do but they they look at their comprehensive exam and they don't they don't look at it like well this is just routine or this is just like i'm just i'm just going to do this They, they actually look at it as like I, and because I think people think that like they some people, if they don't do these things, they're like, well, I'm just going to do the same exam for every single patient. And I'm going to do a really great exam for every, every single patient. But What they wind up doing is they wind up ignoring the stuff that can be a big issue over time for patients and probably mm-hmm. already right. is a big issue for them. But if unless that patient is spewing it out of their mouth, they're going to ignore it. And so they're, they're saying, well, I'm just going to do the same comprehensive exam no matter who who's coming into the office, what the. And But people that do it really well are, yes, they're going to take the complaints, but they're going to look systematically for the things that they know are going to be um, causing that patient problems over time. It's no different than when we evaluate a patient for macular degeneration or glaucoma or cataracts. Right. Um, and, and dry is just one of those other things. And so what I'm hearing from you is you you look to identify, to find a problem, then educate the patient kind of give Mm -hmm. them a reason uh, of why it's important that you're you're digging deeper and then have them back at another visit to dig deeper. Almost everybody that does this at a really high level that does primary care does it exactly the way you described. It's really interesting to me. The most common questions I get include, what ophthalmological codes or evaluation and management codes should I use? What ICD-10 codes do I need to bill with this CPT code? What CPT codes can be billed together and what can't? And my favorite, how do I manage a patient who has diabetes who comes in for a quote unquote routine eye exam? These questions really highlight the confusion and uncertainty that serves as a daunting hurdle for providers, makes it more challenging for them to care for their patients and provide those patients with the best opportunity for a lifetime of ocular health and clear vision. That's why we built iCode Education for this specific purpose. Our mission is to provide optometrists with resources to help you understand disease states, revenue cycles, and billing and coding so that you can put that on autopilot and truly care for your patients. Check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. We've developed a premier billing and coding bundle that includes all of our billing and coding resources in one place. We also have a 10% discount code just for listeners of this podcast. Enter the coupon code E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-M-E-D-I-A 22 at checkout. We'd love to work with you. Check out icodeeducation.com. One of the challenging things with patients is that when they invest in a really high-quality pair of glasses and customized lenses, occasionally it can be difficult to keep those lenses clean, scratch-free, and smudge-free. Now, we have the ability with Crizal Sapphire HR lenses to offer our patients a best-in-class anti-reflective coating that is also resistant to scratches, smudges, and deposits. This means that patients spend more time enjoying clear and comfortable vision and less time caring for their lenses. So remember that you can provide patients with the best in quality, best in class, transparency, clarity, durability, and UV protection in a single Crizal coating. If you want to learn more about Crizal Sapphire HR, contact your Essilor account executive or visit EssilorPro.com backslash Crizal.
1: I think, you know, we're doing that routine exam. Maybe they have, you know, vision insurance, that kind of thing. We have a limited time as well, and you know we have to be efficient so we can identify those things efficiently, explain to the patient why they need additional care, have them come back typically under medical, explain this is a medical condition. We're going to do testing that will be submitted to medical insurance based on what I'm seeing here today, subject to copays and deductibles. I always like to say that so they have an understanding of what's involved. Um, and then you do those tests and then once you've done your diagnostic tests you've identified the level of dry eye disease again level one if they have anything at all level one treatment is going to be omega-3 so if they're not already on omega-3 at an appropriate level and I think in a, the right amount of it then I'm going to talk to them about that as one of their basic treat- things that we're going to start at that tr- next treatment visit that next visit well
0: that's what I want you that's what I want to talk to you about is that so okay let's co- I come back what, um, when, when I come back for that battery of tests, um, mm-hmm. you're going to, so my assumption is, and you could tell me if I'm wrong, well, no, just tell me what, what's the battery of things you're going to do to assess, and then what's going to determine yeah. whether or not you're going to place me on an omega-3?
1: Sure. So we'll do a number of tests at that next visit. We have patients not put or instill any drops if they're on an artificial tear nothing in the eyes two hours before they come. I want to measure tear osmolarity. I think that is key. It helps us understand the homeostasis of the tear film. We have these layers of tear film. If there's a lack of oil, if there's rapid evaporation, if there's thinning of the tear film, that osmolarity number is likely going to be high. We'll look for MM uh, not P9s to see if there are signs of inflammation in the tear film. <clears throat> I'm going to look carefully by putting dye in their eye at the corneal surface. I'll measure tear breakup time, look at corneal staining. I'll look at tear prism height to determine whether I feel the patient has aqueous deficiency as well. I'm going to look carefully at the meibomium glands, and I will normally take my lid stick and express at least the central five along each lower lid, so 10 glands, and I'll assign a number to the oil. If I see toothpaste, if I get no oil, that's a zero. If I see toothpaste, it's a one. If I see you know, butter, creamy gel, it's a two. And if I see really good oil, it's three. And I'll get and it how a number. And how often do I- you see really good oil? Not too often. <laughs> yeah, In I fact, know. I, I'm, a, biomim- I'm astonished it's, it's, when I do.
0: I'm, I'm like yeah. taken aback when I do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So those patients, I'm going to identify their level based on those things. We'll discuss the results of those findings. And I'm going to start them on, uh, again, assuming they're doing nothing right now, I'll put them on omega-3s. I'll have them do some kind of a warm compress typically. I'll do an artificial tear And oftentimes, you know, hypochlorous acid or a spray or a cleanser. So those are like the very basic things. Let's say they have low symptoms and maybe early signs. um, And then we'll have them come back in In a few weeks. We'll do a follow-up visit. If we start to see some improvement in the way the eye looks, feels, the glands, how they're producing oil, great. Uh, We may continue with that. If we we find patients with more severity, we may have uh, something where we'll um, recommend a special procedure like IPL. So we, you know, we look carefully at the lid margin for signs of Um and I think IPL just helps everything else we do work better. When you uh, think about, so you mentioned um, the omega index, uh, but you
0: didn't mention that you're doing it at that that initial visit. Are you waiting until a follow up visit to to use the
1: omega index? Um, I would say I would typically bring it up. So at that first visit, um, if the patient says, well, I'm already taking omega-3 or there's some resistance to it, uh, but I commonly would recommend it at that first visit, quite honestly. Okay. So I'll say, yes, you know, we, we don't know for sure your level. Some patients will do better and be more compliant if they actually have a number. So I would say I could start you on this omega-3. Some patients will say, well, maybe I'll just see what my number is if they're not convinced. Not everybody's open to taking omega-3s up front. And especially in those patients, if you have a number and you say, "Well, we want that number to be above eight percent," and then the the test comes back and there are four um, percent, you know, it's pretty easy to improve their compliance by explaining what that means um, and that we really need those levels higher. So, and then as we do the testing, we, the patient takes the supplement, and it takes around three to four months with the lifespan of the red blood cell. Um, to stabilize and maximize, let's say we've given them two grams a day, roughly, of omega three. Um, then we'll measure that again, and then we can see have we, you know, are we compliant? Have we gotten the right dose? I always recommend they eat fish as well. So depending on how much fish they eat, will help determine the the, the amount I give them. I like to recommend a balanced formula that has both EPA and DHA. If you look again at most oily fish, they have a a balanced amount or more DHA. So I think if we're trying to mimic nature and uh, try to provide a holistic approach, again, uh, we can give a supplement that has pretty much even amounts, a balanced amount between EPA and DHA, and they're both beneficial for dry eye. So when it comes to fish oil products, patients do like recommendations, and there are many choices out there. But TG Omega-3 from Health is definitely my Omega-3 of choice. And that's because it's third-party certified. It has the uh, triglyceride formulation, so it's of the highest purity. It's easy to digest. It's a bit smaller than many of the other products, uh, which makes it easy to swallow and also provides some flexible dosing. And very importantly, it contains an equal amount of EPA and DHA, which better better mimics what we find in nature. So our office has done very well with uh, the TG Omega-3 product and patient response um, has been very good. Talk about the, talk about the
0: billing process um, for the Omega index. Talk talk about that. That's going to be a holdup for a number of doctors. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So the test is over the counter, if you will. So patients could go online if they choose and do it themselves. Um, The test online that we use, just omegaquant.com is where we go. Um, Last time I checked it was $49.95 to do the test. We do it for them in the office. We charge fifty (laughs) dollars, so I tell them we do. We charge them a nickel to do it for them. (laughs) Um, I don't really get a lot of resistance with that if patients understand the value of it. It does help us verify their need and help us understand how much they need. And I tell patients too if you want to take, you know, swallow less pills, eat more fish, oily fish, and you know, some patients are, are more open to doing both. Um, but I don't really get a lot of resistance. It's simply uh, a drop of blood again on a dry blood spot card. I have my staff do it. It doesn't take long. We get those results back uh, within a couple of weeks, and then we can have that discussion.
0: I like it. I like it also because there's this, you know, there's in a number of patients when I talk to Omega-3s um, there, and, and I am, I mean, generally I'll tell a patient, like, I'm agnostic. If, if it does what it needs to do, I'm agnostic to the brand. But, um, but, but what I am not agnostic to is taking a brand that, that they're getting filler omegas or something that just, because they can get it so inexpensively. Um, I mean, and that's okay, I mean, great. If it does what it's, what, what I want it to do, I, do, I really don't care. But, but at the same time, what's really what I do care about is if I get no clinical benefit from it uh, and the patient mm-hmm. gets no symptomatic benefit from it, and it's just garbage that they've sold you for a whole bunch less, at least that tells me like that in those instances, it can show me like, look, you're supposed to, I want, a, I want an 8% and you're at four and you're telling me you're taking exactly what you're supposed to be taking. So what, what are you taking? And, and, and then that, that kind of stimulates additional conversation as opposed to mm-hmm. being like, well, was it the omega-3? And now I'm sitting here trying to convince them of a different brand because I know that brand works as opposed to just relying on the evidence of what, of what you're seeing clinically and and you know if, if it's if it's working great then then you could be like wonderful keep using this exact same one and make sure that you know when we check it, it that if they're switching or swapping components and it doesn't start to stop continue to work then we need to fix that but you know at least you know at least you can know and have the conversation it's a, it's better evidence right. to have a conversation with on those things you
1: know, i think a lot of patients who uh are taking Omega-3's particular brand. Some of them aren't taken. They've tried it before and they'll say, Oh, I burnt that up. I had a, it was mm-hmm. you know, they have these yeah. unpleasant sensory experiences. That probably happens about 20% of patients. So having a high quality triglyceride formula, they don't need to swallow as many pills. They're getting a more therapeutic dose. They're less likely to have these side effects. And we provide that in our practice as an option. They can, you know, buy it any place they want. But we provide and have a specific recommendation of this particular one that we have had really good success with. And sometimes it's actually very competitive price-wise because they don't need as many. And if you can find something they tolerate well, because if if they take some product and, you know, they burp it up and they have these issues, they're not going to continue doing that long term. So finding a very uh, high-quality product that they digest easily very competitively priced and convenient for them to purchase right at our practice we do that commonly and and that has worked very well for us
0: tell me about this is kind of the last thing because we we mentioned it but i want to be respectful of your time let's transition from ocular surface disease to maybe retinal conditions and and maybe just so we can we can look at the evidence um talk about amd and uh actually you know what let's let's not talk about amd i want you mentioned diabetes i think that's probably something that that uh, more people are thinking less about. And so what's your thoughts on di- on um, how omega-3s work uh, and how they benefit patients who have diabetes?
1: Yeah. So the retina contains uh, as the number one fatty acid, long chain fatty acid, there's a lot of DHA in the retina and in the brain. And if you're Uh, Patients who have diabetes, again, commonly have low levels of omega-3, just as other Americans and other patients do. So for optimal retinal function, I think having a good source of omega-3 in your body through your food is is important. Again, I use that same criteria. So I do the omega-3 index for those patients, and I tell them I want them above 8%. So their body has the building materials necessary for a multitude of reasons, including their retinal health. Um, We need more research in diabetes. There is a study showing that uh, as part of the PREDMED study that was looking at diet in terms of cardiovascular health, we found, um, I think, over 5,500 patients that were diabetic type 2, men and women, fall for six years. If they had at least 500 milligrams of EPA, DHA in their diet daily, they had about a 50% less likelihood of developing sight threatening retinopathy. So, advanced stages of retinopathy requiring surgery, laser, that kind of thing. So, we have some evidence that omega-3s can help reduce, um, it, but I just think purely from the clinical standpoint, from the scientific standpoint, knowing what omega-3s, how important they are to retinal health. I think for diabetic patients to have omega-3s is an important discussion um, and the omega-3 index gives us a guide as far as how much we should be prescribing once again
0: even just from a standpoint of of the effects and i i guess i'll let you comment on this too but you know we know that patients um i mean it's pretty standard uh to lower cholesterol in patients who have diabetes as well now it's a pretty well accepted kind of second line or second you know, if you're addressing the diabetes, most internal medicine or family medicine physicians are gonna address cholesterol as well um, to mm-hmm. try to get tighter control for the same reasons. Um, so, you know, even in that sense, the cholesterol-lowering capacity of an omega-3 should benefit even outside of the, you know, the uh, neural tissue concentration of DHAs. <sighs> mm-hmm. yeah. What do you think about that? What, what's think the cholesterol-lowering yeah. benefit of an omega-3?
1: So, so I think if you look at you know the best research we have there's been some different thoughts over the years um, as far as LDL cholesterol the omega 3 is typically fairly neutral in that what it does however is it elevates it helps elevate HDL which is very important for vascular health it helps improve blood flow probably oxygenation there's something called a red blood cell distribution width. So your red blood cells have to basically deform about half of their diameter to squeeze through the capillaries. And omega-3s appear to help the flexibility of those red blood cells getting through to provide more vascular, more oxygen. I think that's important. There's also really strong evidence that at a proper dose, omega-3s lower triglycerides. And I think that's a really important factor as well. So you can do multiple things to the vascular health of the tissue. There's also evidence that omega-3s lower blood pressure and many patients who have diabetes also have elevated blood pressure. So if we can reduce blood pressure, if we can improve oxygen and blood flow, lower triglycerides, I think we can have these additional vascular benefits for our diabetic patients which are so key and they're also at risk for cardiovascular disease. Um, to a greater degree than patients who don't have diabetes, so one of the reasons I recommend omega threes for my diabetic patients is again, if you get above eight percent, as one example, versus the typical four percent in the United States, you're actually there have been there was a meta-analysis of uh, I think twenty-seven thousand patients in ten studies. You're reducing the risk of sudden fatal heart attack by approximately thirty-five percent. When you get above eight percent in their omega-3 and given the fact that cardiovascular disease is so pervasive among diabetic patients i think you're making positive impacts on their general health and their heart health that go even beyond what you're seeing and benefits you're going to get within the eye and also as we know many patients with diabetes a high percentage of them have dry eyes so another yeah, reason right. for them right. to be on omega-3 so you're just getting multiple benefits holistic benefits. You know, there's just so many things with omega-3s that are beneficial and we could talk, you know, through a list of additional things from cardiovascular to autoimmune diseases to joint health and all those things that we're doing something good for our patient holistically when we're recommending omega If we, even, even if we're focusing on dry eye disease, we are doing something positive for the general health of those patients who really are not and men, again most americans are just really under where they should be in omega-3 levels in their in their blood in their body tissues
0: i think that's a great way to, to stop it i think um this this is a, a a pleasure i've thought through a little few things differently than since our conversation so thank you for that um dr Rourke, where can people find you if they want to reach out and um and contact you sure
1: I would be happy. Uh, my email address is uh, Mark Roark, just M-A-R-K-R-O-A-R-K dot O-D at gmail.com. And I'm happy to fill any questions to discuss. There was uh, um, some additional information. I'd like to talk to you sometime about yeah. macrodegeneration, because I think there is a lot of misconception of how Omega-3s, what they do and their benefits. We have three RCTs in macrodegeneration. I think there's a, uh, there's some discussion something worthy to discuss in that that might clear up some confusion because i think just within this whole realm of how omega-3s work and what they do there's there's just a lot of of um of confusion quite honestly
0: so i think that that's why i
1: diverted from it
0: because i think it's a longer conversation mm-hmm. i think um Maybe we plan for that in April or May. How about that? Okay. That'd be great. I'd love sounds to talk good, about it. A good plan? All right. Let's do it. So, sounds great. Um, so, uh, Dr. Bork, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank and, you. Uh, thanks and for I the invite. And I look forward to Enjoy our next it. conversation. Yes, you're welcome.
1: Sounds wonderful. Thank you, Chris. Take care. You're welcome.